And now we get back into Ephesians. And it, is, it has been a great time through Ephesians and, and through four chapters so far. Now we get into chapter 5. And of course, at the rate we're going, we'll be in chapter 5 for another six months. And then six more months in chapter 6. And, you know, I'm just kidding. Well, by God's grace as he leads, we're two verses today. Uh, kicking off chapter 5, as it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So, of course, we start with the therefore, and remembering that that connects us to the previous passage. It connects us to the previous verses, as well as points us forward into this, uh, these verses here uh, that are before us in verses 1 and 2. But on the therefore, and looking back, we can be reminded of the previous verses. Uh, where it talks about not grieving the Spirit and how we are to handle ourselves and conduct ourselves and, and fellowship with each other and ministry to one another, uh, that we would be kind and that we would be tender-hearted, that we would be forgiving as Christ forgave. We remember that. Now, that's the key. As Christ forgave, and we are to be acting like Christ in our interactions with one another. And so that focuses there on forgiveness, that focuses on tenderheartedness, that focuses on loving kindness toward one another, right? Tenderheartedness is something that we're not often, you know, naturally good at, and we have to work at it. Right? Sometimes we're hard-hearted, and we put up our walls, we put up our fences around our properties, and we, we put up our walls around us to try to keep people out in a safe distance sometimes, but, but we're challenged as part of the body of Christ to be tender-hearted and open to, to ministry to one another in the body of Christ. So much of what our built life groups are about and trying to minister to one another and engaging in the body of Christ and not just coming to church on Sunday. So it points us back to those verses. Now it points us forward as well to these verses before us. A great exhortation and an introduction to uh, what the family of God looks like. And Paul, in this chapter, uses the example of the natural family. And today we start talking about children. And further, we're going to end up talking about marriage and family later on in the chapter. God uses these things to point us to himself. These things that are normal part of our lives to point us to himself. And so here's the exhortation. Be Imitators of God. The word imitator in the Greek, it is mimetes, right? It's the word where we get the word mime or mimic from. And so we, we think of that, and it really is the idea of copycat, right? That we are little copycats of God. And, and he gives us this picture to say, be mimicking God. In, in all that you're doing, you need to copy God. Now he gives us a little introduction to it in the previous verses. And we remember that in scripture, the chapter and verse breakdowns are not in the original text. You know, Paul wasn't writing a letter and say, okay, chapter two, verse one, or chapter five, verse one of this letter. No, it's just a letter. We break it down so we can find these locations. It's been broken down for us. It's helpful. But really, there's no break in this. 
we look at the imitating of Christ in our forgiveness. We look at the imitating of Christ in our, in our interactions with one another and our tenderheartedness toward one another. And now we continue in this same attitude in imitating God. And further, we're going to talk what that looks like, how that plays out. But we're, we're in reference to the previous verses, and now we, we have to remember how easily we can get caught up in imitating other things, right? We are called to be mimicking God, but yet we look more and more like the world all the time. And we've, we address that in chapter 4 in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, in the way that we interact with each other. Yet we oftentimes get caught up just like the world in the way we interact. We look just like them. We are mimicking the world in these things, in our interactions. And I'll, I'll use social media as an example because everybody has this idea that on social media you can just put whatever you want out there and you can hide behind the screen, right? You just drop bombs and think that it's going to be fruitful. And people will actually say things. I'm just going to leave this right here. Why? What is the purpose or there's people that, that are you know, writing blogs that is tearing down the church. What is the purpose? That is copying the ways of the world. That's following in the journalistic ideas of the world and saying, oh, I've got a big story and I'm gonna break it. Breaking news and tearing down the church. Breaking news and proving my point. And we'll just type in whatever we want to on our little device and we think that everything's okay and I can hide behind it. But we would never say those words even to somebody's face. We would never interact that way with another person, but let me just type it. It's okay. We do it through social media. We do it through text message. We do it through email. Those things, they, they get lost in translation. And these are just some cautions that are out there, right? Our interactions with each other, though, look more and more like the world. And we think that it's okay. We need to be putting off the old man, as chapter 4 tells us. We need to be putting on the new man. And this here is a call to practical action, to act like Jesus, to look like Jesus, to talk like Jesus. As it says, be imitators of God. What we're saying is that he is the only example that is worth following to imitate God and nothing else. And further, he says it as, as dear children. Now, our first introduction to a part of the natural family, right? Addressing this idea of children. Now, it's not an address to children, but it's addressing us as children, as dear children. So first, we recognize that children are natural imitators, right? You got kids. You know what I'm talking about. And sometimes you don't want them to imitate you. Right? You're like, do as I say, not as I do. But they're going to do as you do. They're going to look just like you. They're going to talk just like you. They're going to interact just like you. They hear the conversations going on. They watch from a distance. My oldest, Hannah, she's just like a, she contemplates things. 
And she kind of just sits back a lot of times, and she's listening. She's in like the back of the van, and we're driving. And me and my wife will be having a conversation. And I just see her through the rearview mirror sometimes, just like, what's going on up there? <laughs> and, and we'll say something. We're trying to, the kids not, not to know, like, oh, hey, you want to go get some ice cream, you know? She's like, what was that? Where are we going? And she knows. She sees. And she, any of you guys who know Hannah, she's that type. She'll just sit and she'll watch. She figures things out. But there's a lot of kids like that, right? A lot of our kids are like, let me figure out what's going on. When she was little, when she was learning to talk, all she said for like two months was, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? And we're like, well, this is a chair, and this is a table, and this is a wall. And you go through all, for months, you're like, okay, stop asking what's that. And then after those two months, she collected her vocabulary, and she was ready to go, Right? But that's what kids do. They're sponges, and they absorb, and then they imitate. And you could try to speak all you want and say, do this, do that, do this, do that. But, if, but they're going to watch what we do, and they're going to act the same way. They're going to carry themselves the same way. I see that in my sons. They walk like dad, and they talk like dad. And then when I hear them arguing with each other, I'm like, what's the matter with you? Oh, I know. You learned that from me. Your harsh attitude toward each other, that you learned that from dad. And I could tell them, stop doing that. But I have to show them to stop doing that. And so we recognize that kids are natural imitators. Our kids naturally act like us, talk like us, walk like us, look like us, whether we like it or not. The second thing we realize here is that we are to be children of God. The first part of the family of God here in chapter 5 that we're going to unfold throughout is speaking of children. Not an address to children, but that we are to realize that we first are children of God. The other things will work themselves out. New life in Christ, right? Being born again, and we've talked so much about that through Ephesians and, and what it is to, be, to have life in Christ. In this new life in Christ places us in a new family, where we are God's beloved children. And in the family of God, there's incredible bonds, greater bonds than those of the world, right? The world has things like fraternities or lodges, right? Or all sorts of social clubs that people try to connect through. But in God's family, there's greater bonds than all that. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in God's family, we have to remember this. We are first children. That's such an important reminder. Sometimes we get so busy about life. We get so busy about doing even the work of the Lord. And we are first husband or wife. Father or mother employee, employer, 
We, we put all of those things first. And this brings us back to our identity being in Christ and not in the labels that we have in the world today. And those are all good things. It's good to be a good husband and a good wife and a good mother and a good father. and all. It's good to be a good employee or a good employer. Further, we identify ourselves with even being a servant in church. I can label myself, I'm a pastor. That doesn't matter. I'm a child of God first. And each one of you, you may be struggling to realize even your value. You may be struggling and uh, and putting your value in your job or your position or your, your role in the home. And if things aren't going well in that, then you're va- you feel devalued. But remember, first and foremost, you are a child of God. Following and imitating God. Like a little kid, looking to your dad, your father in heaven, to copy who he is, to copy his ways sitting at his feet and learning and growing. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18 that we are to have a childlike approach in our faith, right? Matthew 18, one to four says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Talk about an identity crisis, They were caught up. These are the followers, the direct followers of Jesus. And they're like, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Because I want to be that. How do I become the greatest in the kingdom? That's their approach. Their identity being found in greatness in a label rather than just in Christ. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus then called a little child to him. Object lesson. Right? He called a little child to him and set him in the midst. And that child must have been totally terrified and intimidated in this moment, you would think, right? Set the child in the midst of the disciples. And they're probably thinking, what is going on here? The child's like, okay, Jesus called me over, put me in the middle of all these men. He set them in the midst and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We are first and foremost children of God. And as Jesus called that little child, and the response was obedience, we need to do the same. And follow that example that Jesus set before the disciples. These are the disciples of Jesus Christ, the men who he poured into to to then be a foundational part of the early church. And we want to be like Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. And we want to know, how do I achieve greatness? And Jesus said, you know what? you got to actually humble yourself and become like a lowly child not worried about position or authority or greatness, but humility. Verse two, then we continue. 
and walk in love. This is the focal point here as we go forward, right? I said, and when we see therefore, we look backward and we look forward. Now we look forward into this. This is how we do it. This is how we imitate God, walk in love. As outlined for us in the previous verses, in forgiveness, being kindly affectionate, being tender-hearted toward one another, we walk in love as Christ also loved. We move forward in our love, right? A walk is a general description of someone's outward life. But it's speaking of progress. The word walk is a steady process of moving forward. That's the definition. So it's speaking of progress. A Christian should always have progress. We should always be moving forward. And I'm sorry to say it, sometimes, oftentimes, Christians, we get comfortable, we get complacent, and we're standing still. Or even more so, I'm sorry to say that, sometimes we're moving backward. But this word to walk is progress. Forward motion, becoming more like Christ. And we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself. Christ is the example of love. The cross is Christ's example of love. Sacrifice is the example of love. In John chapter 15, Verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. This is a sacrificial love. Sacrifice is the example to follow. Are we imitating God in sacrifice toward one another? I would venture to say, for the most part, no. I don't know about you guys, but I don't often wake up in the morning and think about how I can serve everybody else. I wake up and think, man, I'm tired. I want to go back to sleep. Right? Or this time of year, thinking, man, it's nice and cozy in the blankets. I don't want to get out, and it's chilly outside of the blankets. Or you think, I've got to get my cup of coffee. Or you think, I've got to eat because I'm hungry. I have to feed myself. These are all natural things. But do we actually intentionally think about sacrificing ourselves, our time, our effort, our resources? to serve as Christ served, to love as Christ loved. We are to follow the example of Christ in sacrifice. Laying down our lives for one another is a natural response to being a child of God. Because as a child of God, we would be walking in love. 
But this is a challenge to us to evaluate, are we walking in love? Are we actually walking in love or are we walking in selfishness? And we would say we love each other. We would say, I, I, I love my kids, but you know, when there's like one piece of bread left and I'm like, actually, I want that piece of bread. Right? And we see it happen, especially among kids, right? Toys. They're mine. But that's oftentimes our response in the way we live our lives. And we say, I love the body of Christ. We say we love our wives or our husbands, right? We, we love our spouses. We love our children. But not if you steal the covers, Oftentimes we mimic, we imitate the world in our approach to love. And so it says this is how we are to love is as Christ and as Christ gave himself. So what are we supposed to do? Give ourselves. As Christ gave, sacrificially. Is it giving if it costs us nothing? Is it giving if, it, if it's not a sacrifice of some sort? To give of ourselves sacrificially is the loving thing to do, regardless of the return on the investment here and now. So often we do things in ministry, in life, for the church, for the body of Christ, for the Lord, all good things. But we do these things sometimes wondering what's in it for me. And even maybe you come to church thinking, what's in it for me? Looking for recognition, maybe looking for position, maybe looking for a sense of belonging. And those things very well may be added unto you. They may be, they may be and, and likely will be blessings of being a part of the church. You will find a sense of belonging to the body of Christ. But first, we need to recognize our place in the family of God as a child of God through relationship with Jesus Christ. And then give of ourselves out of love for God and love for one another. The return on the investment, guys, it's eternal. That's what we should be looking to. We give of ourselves because we love God, because we recognize how much he loves us. Not because, what's in it for me? What's the benefit to me? What can I get out of this? But looking to the eternal investment. And giving of ourselves may be of resources, financially, of time, of effort. And you're thinking, oh, here we go. Pastor's talking about giving. The Bible challenges us on sacrificial love, 
That's what Paul is writing to the church. Love sacrificially. Don't love out of convenience, but give of yourself. And this, you know, this giving is oftentimes is little by little. It's not always a big dramatic laying down of our lives, right? Sometimes it's harder to just give a little of ourselves at a time. Like, can I just like one and done? Like, I'll do, I'll go on a missions trip. I'll go on a big missions trip. I'll go for like two weeks and it'll be great. And then I'll be good for a year. And then I'll go on a missions trip another year from now. Right? And we think, or I'll just, I'll, I'll donate all of my clothes to the, to the clothing bins in the parking lots that are overflowing, right? Like, I'm giving. Is that giving of yourself or is that giving of your leftovers? Is that sacrificial giving? Paul continues here. He says, it's an offering and a sacrifice to God. Giving of ourselves out of love for God and for one another is a pleasing sacrifice. It is pleasing to God. Much like the sacrifice of the cross. And it is to God. Notice that it says that specifically. An offering and sacrifice to God. Not to men. Not to be noticed by men, not unto ourselves to make ourselves feel better, not to give ourselves some sort of identity or self-worth in our giving, but out of love for God to God, that we would find our identity in the love relationship with Jesus Christ and that we would give back to him out of that love. In the Old Testament, burnt offering was the highest expression of love for God and Paul is pointing us there in this. He's referring back to burnt offering and sacrifice here. And the unique feature of the burnt offering is that it was all for God. And it was all about God. Bringing the focus back to our motive. What is your motive for serving? What is your motive for giving? And as part of the body of Christ, we are called to give. We are called to serve. That's what Ephesians has challenged us so much in throughout this whole book. You're part of the body of Christ. Then you belong and you give of yourself to the body of Christ. So we're supposed to do it as we walk in love. But what is the motive of doing it? Is the motive because we want to be noticed? Is the motive because we want to feel better about ourselves? Because we want to check a box? Or is the motive because we are so passionately in love with Jesus and we recognize so much the work of the cross and the sacrifice that he made for us and set an example in and we cannot contain within ourselves. So we have to give. That's what it's about. That's the motive behind sacrificial love. It's all for God. 
It's not because we keep asking. Hey, we need help, right? You guys hear us announce, hey, we need servants, children's ministry, cleaning ministry, coffee ministry, greeting ministry. I mean, I'm missing things, I'm sure. You guys have heard all the things that we're like, we need servants in these areas. So do you just respond? You're like, well, they keep begging, so I'm just gonna do it. So I don't have to listen to it anymore. What's your motive? Because we ask? Because we wanna be seen? Or is it all for God? Out of response to his love that we are loving, that we are walking in love. Paul uses both Offering and sacrifice here. These are actually two different words. Offering is a ceremonial type of offering made out of gratitude for provision and blessing. Similar to when we sit down for a meal and we pray, right? Ceremonial, thanking God. When we come, come together for a meal, we're gonna pray, we're gonna bless it. Because God has provided. But it's a specific, this type of sacrifice, or this type of offering, rather, is, is a recognition that all provision is from God, and he should be honored for that provision. It's great gratitude. And not just getting caught up in the ceremony of it. That's what Paul is challenging here. Further, he says it's a sacrifice. Sacrifice is speaking specifically of a sin offering where blood would be shed. It's necessary for us. And our, our love for God and responding to our love for God in serving and giving of ourselves to one another, in ministry to one another, it is as pleasing as the gratitude that we give and honoring God for all that he's given us and all the blessings he's poured out. And it's just as pleasing to God as the burnt offering, the sin offering. Because Jesus died once for all. Because the blood of Jesus was poured out as the acceptable sacrifice. And so when we walk in love and ministry toward one another, we are remembering the cross. We're walking in that sacrificial love of the cross. And so we're pointed back to that. And God is so pleased. Paul includes both of these Things and offering and sacrifice to be clear. All things come from God as blessings. All things are to be unto God, and only He is able to redeem and restore and sanctify, and He gets all the glory. We love because He first loved us. And it's a sweet smelling aroma, it is pleasing. Pleasing to God. All that, all that we do and all that we are about should be for his good pleasure, not ours. God should not get our leftovers. 
We go back to the beginning, Genesis. You don't have to turn there, but Cain and Abel. One sacrifice was pleasing to God and one was not. Cain gave out of his leftovers. Abel gave out of his first fruits, a sacrifice to God. We'll close with this thought in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. You can turn, it's just a couple pages for you. Maybe just one. In my Bible, it's only one. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason. You also be glad and rejoice with me. There's many challenges in that passage, and this is a whole nother three or four messages out of that at least. To, but we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it says, right? Work at it. Love one another. Work at our love for one another. It takes hard work because some people are hard to love, and maybe you're one of them. We're looking around the room like, yeah, that person's hard to love for sure. Maybe it's me. Let's just start right here in your chair where you're at and look at ourselves. We're bearing with one another in love, as Paul also says. It takes hard work, guys. It takes bearing with one another. And it is for his good pleasure. It's not for your own satisfaction. It's not for the satisfaction of any other person. It is for his good pleasure. A sweet-smelling aroma, like a fresh-baked loaf of bread or cookies, right? Just, I walk in the house. If my wife's, you know, been baking or something, I just, wow, what is that? Sometimes she'll be like, it's just a candle. Oh, man. But oftentimes you get, you know, you, there's fresh baked bread or something going. You're like, wow, that is amazing. It's so pleasing and you just want to eat it. It's for his good pleasure that God would be pleased, that God would say, yes, thank you. Not anybody else. And further, connected to that for God's good pleasure, it is what? Without complaining or disputing. Oh man, that one is hard. Without complaining or arguing. Man, the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the desert because of what? Murmuring and complaining 
and we in the United States of America are really good at complaining. Come on, can I get an amen? Admit it. Let's go. <laughs> I'll admit it, all right? We complain. Just last week, we're, we're hanging out with our brother Leo from Haiti, and we're talking about some first world problems, and right, and handling our kids and dealing with different things with the kids, and we're like, Leo, tell us, what's it like for you, man? He's like, oh, man, we just try to make sure there's food on the table, try to make sure the kids don't starve, and wow, doesn't that cut to the heart? everything without complaining or arguing. Just stop. That's what I say to my kids. Stop complaining. My kids have memorized that verse. They have not yet been doers of the word in that verse, but they're working out their salvation, right? <laughs> it's a process. And that's what Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is a process. You gotta keep working at it. But this is coming back to our interactions with each other. We are to do it without complaining and arguing, without disputing, because that's what's pleasing to him. And here it is again, that you may become blameless and pure children of God. Working out our salvation through our love for one another, without complaining, without arguing, is once again identifying us as children of God. And then further, that we should be poured out as a drink offering, emptied, emptied out, and that we could be emptied out out of love for God, first of all and love for one another. That's what it all comes back to. We are to walk in love as Christ walked in love, right? As Christ gave himself. And we think sometimes, I don't have anything left to give. That's probably when you should start giving. Because then it's the end of us, and it's the beginning of the Spirit of God. We, we can be poured out in love, and full of joy. If we're just poured out, lacking the love, no joy. We will be miserable givers. We will be miserable servants in the body of Christ. But being poured out in love will make us full of joy to where we could actually be emptied of ourselves and full of the Holy Spirit. That depends on us, not others, not the church. It just comes down to our love relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray.